Good evening. Good to see everybody out. Good Sunday night crowd tonight. When I was preaching up north, uh, remember going. I went to several churches in the area, and where we lived, it was it was right on the borders of Kentucky and Ohio and West Virginia. They were all right there together. You could be in all three states within about a 15-minute drive. And I preached all over that end of Kentucky and the southernmost part of Ohio and then West Virginia. I remember going into one church, and I walked into the foyer, first time I'd ever been in that church, and there was a red phone. It reminded me of the bat phone. It was right there at the door, and there was a little sign next to it. It said, direct line to God, $300 per call. Needless to say, I did not pick up that phone. That was in West Virginia. A few weeks later, I went to a church in Ohio and uh, walked into this little country church. And there again, as soon as I walked in the door on this little table, another bat phone and a little sign next to it. It said, direct line to God, $500 per call. So again... Never tried that number. And uh, we'd come back here to visit, and I remember coming to this church for the first time, and I walked in back there, and there was a red phone sitting in the foyer. What in the world? I didn't get the memo on this direct line to God, I guess. I walked in, and there was that little red phone. and By the phone, it said, uh, all calls free of charge. Well, Bob happened to be back there because he's been here forever. And uh, I said, excuse me, sir. I said, what? I don't understand about this phone. He said, that's a direct line to God. I said, well, I get that. I said, I've seen that before. I said, I was up in Ohio. I seen one for $500. In West Virginia, I seen one for $300 per call. I said, I get down here, and, and I see your phone, and it says free of charge. He said, oh, that's because this is a local call. That joke killed in Kentucky and Ohio. My question to you is this. If you had a direct line to God, you walked back in this church and there was a red phone and charges were free, you picked up the phone and called God, what do you believe the first thing he would tell you to do would be? I believe not just because it's in Alabama and it was free of charge. I believe had you picked up the phone, the first thing God would tell you to do is go fishing. Go fishing. And he tells us that in, in the Bible, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. The Bible says, As he was walking, this was Jesus, along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. They spoke to Jesus for the first time. First time they'd ever spoke to him, and he told this one thing. Go fishing. Go fishing. Because that's the most important thing we do as children of God. 
Don't bother telling me what a good Christian you are, what great things you're doing for the kingdom if you're not fishing because that's what we were called to do. These men walked with Jesus, God in the flesh, for three years during his ministry. And the first thing he told them is, go fishing. I will make you fishers of men. The book of Proverbs says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So I'm going to ask you a few questions tonight. And the first is this. Why do we do it? Why do we go fishing? Why are we soul winners? Because it's our job. It is our job. That's what God called us to do. I've said this numerous times. If my job would have been to trust Jesus and make it to heaven, if that had been my job when I was 12 years old, a little church camp in Oklahoma, God would have knocked me in the head and took me on home because I would be done. But I was not done because our job is not to make it. Our job is not to tie a prayer knot and hold on till Jesus comes. Our not, our, we're not called to just, well, I'm just holding on. Quit holding on, let go, and become a soul winner. That's what we were called to do. It is our job. When Jesus saves us, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We miss the great white throne judgment that the Bible talks about in Revelations. But you know what we will do? We will go to the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what's going to be judged there? What we did with the grace God gave us. Were we fishers of men? We will be accountable for the job we do for him while we are here. It is our job. It is what we're supposed to do. I heard a story of a woman one time went to the doctor, and she called her in the office. She said, this is about your husband. I, I don't know how to tell you this, but he'll never work again. She said, well, let me tell him. Maybe that'll cheer him up a little bit. This must be our desire to be an effective Christian, to be a soul winner. That must be number one on our hearts and on our minds when we go out into the mission field is who needs Jesus. I heard a story one time of a young man. He went to his mother. He, he was telling about his friend of his. And he said, every time he talks to me, he brings up Jesus. He asked me if I want to be introduced to Jesus. He's always doing it. He said, it's getting to where it just aggravates me. He's always just, he said, he's very kind about it. He's not pushy, but he's always talking about Jesus. And the boy's mother said, well, tell you what, next time he does that, you tell him to mind his own business. And the little boy said, that's the problem. He talks like it is his business. Saving souls is our business. Getting people to come to Jesus is our business. That is what we were called to do. Book of Matthew says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Why do we do it? Because that's what God called us to do. When he saved us, he said, Come and I will teach you how to be fishers of men. So that brings us to the next question. How do we do it? I was walking through a bookstore one time and I come across this book 
and it was fishing for dummies. I have a, an entire, and some of you won't be shocked at this, I have an entire collection of books for dummies. And uh, I didn't pick up that particular book because I had a pretty good idea how to fish. But there's an actual book, Fishing for Dummies. And I said, I've got to see some of this. So I picked up the book and I was thumbing through it. And this was the keys to fishing. Key number one, and you might want to write these down. Key number one, know where the fish are. You can't catch what's not there. Know where the fish are. Number two was this, use the right bait. Use the right bait. And third one was the most important. Don't let the fish see you. Don't let the fish see you. And I put the book down and said, no, I don't think I'll buy that. But it struck a chord. I got to thinking, we are fishers of men. What are the three keys? First thing is, know where the fish are. Our mission field starts when we walk out that door. Not in here. Out that door. Where the fish are is where I work. Where the fish are is where I go to school. Members of my family that do not know the Lord, that do not know the Lord, that do not have a relationship with the Lord, that's where the fish are. Go to where the fish are. You can't be an effective soul winner if you stay at home and don't ever go anywhere and don't ever talk to anybody. You've got to get out there. You've got to find out where the fish are. Second is this. Use the right bait. I have done, as a, a youth leader, and, and Doug can verify this, we've done some crazy things over the year. I mean, just things that normal people shouldn't ought to do. Normal people that are especially getting on in age, you get in your 30s and 40s, that's just, you're fooling with teenagers. You do some crazy stuff. Ah, I can handle that. I can do I can do that. Football? Yeah. I'm just 35. I can get out there and play football with them teenage boys. Crazy stuff. Staying up all night at lock-ins. I hate the word lock-in. I throw it in my mouth a little bit every time I hear the word lock-in. Crazy Crazy stuff. Why? Because it's the right bait. We may go out and do some just, just ridiculous things. We went out, when I first got here, we had a serve day. and We were cutting grass and weed eating. It was, nobody was smart enough to pick a day in the fall or a day in the spring. It's the middle of summer. Like, hey, let's go do some yard work for the Lord. We weed eating. And picking up trash and pressure washing and, and, and just, it was just, oh, why? Because it was the right bait. You have to use the right bait. I heard people, well, we've done it this way for 150 years and we're going to keep on doing it. That's fine. You ain't going to catch no fish because the fish change. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the fish change. And when the fish change, the bait has to change. Jesus doesn't change. The Word doesn't change. But how we get the fish in has to change. Use the right bait. But the key, just like in fishing for dummies, the key to fishing for men is don't let the fish see you. 
What does that have to do with being a soul winner? When I go to witness to somebody, I don't want it to be about me. It's about God. I want them to see Jesus when I'm talking about Jesus. I don't want them to be looking at me. Don't let them see you. It's not about you. That's why it's weird using the right bait because it's not about you. It's about the fish and showing the fish who Jesus really is. So know where the fish are. Use the right bait and don't let the fish see you. To be a soul winner, how we do it, you have to be totally devoted to God. Do I mean perfect? Absolutely not. But I do mean totally devoted. My most important thing when I get up in the morning is, am I going to come across somebody today that needs Jesus? And if that is, if that is my thinking, then it changes the way I act. It changes the way I react. Because I don't want something silly I do to keep somebody from seeing Jesus. Totally devoted. My grandmother she lived out at Cedar Creek, and she loved to fish. She didn't care if she caught anything. But we would go down there, and she just loved being around the grandkids. We'd set her up a chair, and she'd sit down in that chair, and we'd bait her hook, and she'd fling it out in the water, and she had this hat that was about this big. She'd put on her head, and she could sit there all day long. It didn't matter if she caught anything. If she caught something, she was happy. She'd reel it in. She'd flop it on the bank, and I'd take the fish off for her. I'd put another worm on there, and she'd fling it back out there. If she didn't catch anything, she was still happy. Patient. Totally devoted to God. God, I, I've been doing this. I've been talking to this person over and over, day after day, and it don't seem like they're getting anything. I'm telling you, they're getting something. Stick with it. Be patient. They are getting something. And the next thing about how we do it is the most important thing. It takes the Holy Spirit. You are never going to convince anybody that they need to be saved. You say, wait, why are you wasting our time talking about being soul winners? There's nothing I can ever say that's going to convince somebody to be saved because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit uses us to pray for them. The Holy Spirit uses us to talk to them, to draw them in. But ultimately, is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when you get ready to go out and you pray, Holy Spirit, have your will and your way in my life, make me come in contact with somebody that needs you because it is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus told his disciples, He said, the Father is putting his own, but ye shall know or ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when you receive power from the Holy Ghost, ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and in Judea and all of Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. I heard one of the greatest evangelists I've ever heard in my life, Harold Hunter. Oh, we, he'd been in several revivals with us up in Kentucky and Ohio and West Virginia. And he said this one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, work as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God. He said, that's what I do every morning. That's what I do every day. I work as if everything depends on me and I pray as if everything depends on God. 
How do we do it? Some of them say, I'll, I'll just sit back and let them come to me. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to sit back and let the sinner come to us. We are called to go and get them. Bring them in. How do we do it? We hate the sin and love the sinner. Love God, love people. You can love somebody and not embrace the sin that they're tied up in. That's what they need. They need to see somebody that loves them. Because when they come, they automatically put up their defenses. When they know they're not living like they're supposed to, and they come in contact with a Christian, somebody they know goes to church, somebody they know is a Christian, the defenses come up. And what they need to see is somebody that, in spite of the sin, loves them anyway. Hate the sin and love the sinner. It's all about how you approach who you're talking to. I read a help wanted ad one time. And the description was this. It said, wanted someone six foot five, trained in martial arts, trained in weapons, to work in the collections department of Arnold's Friendly Loan Service. <laughs> the health wanted sign does not say wanted somebody mean, grouchy, angry, to work for the Lord. You have to love them. The scripture we talked about this morning, Paul said to the weak, I have become weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. How do we do it? Just go out and do it. Do it. I, uh, when I was a young preacher, I was standing in the back with a uh, pastor, friend of mine, and I heard a, a lady come up. She was criticizing one of the men in the church, and I didn't, I didn't go to this particular church. So I didn't know anything about the situation. She began to talk about this particular person. Said, I, I know he brings a lot of people in here, and he witnesses a lot, and he sees a lot of souls saved. She said, I don't like the way he does it. I don't like the way he carries on. I don't like the way he acts. I just don't like the way he does it. She said, what do you think? And I never will forget this. Young preacher, and I was trying to think in my mind what I would say to somebody that said that. And this preacher said, well, let me ask you this. He said, how many people have you won to the Lord this week? She said, well, I don't guess anybody. He said, well, it looks like you probably should try some of the things he's doing. That blew my mind. So we, we know why we do it, because it's our job, what we're called to do. We talked about how to do it. Well, the third and final question is this. Why don't we do it? Why aren't we the best soul winners we possibly can be? One of the reasons is, it gets us out of our comfort zone. We don't like to do things that's out of our comfort zone. I'm in my lane. I'm, we talked about that this morning. I, I'm, I'm going where I need to be. I don't like to get out of my comfort zone. I'm a creature of habit. I don't like getting out of my comfort zone. And, and it's everybody's comfort zone is a little different, and it may be different things. I remember as a, a young preacher, I, I'd go preach anywhere and everywhere. It didn't matter the size of the crowd. I, I was just I was ready to preach. You know what got me the most nervous? is when I took up the offering I, and somebody asked me to pray. I don't know why. 
that took me out of my comfort zone and just, I, I dreaded that. I would, when the preacher got ready to close service, I wouldn't make eye contact with him because I'm afraid he'd pick on me. It got me out of my comfort zone. Some people say, we don't have, I don't have time. I'm uh, fairly busy myself. I work a full-time job at the steel mill, and, and I got three kids, and they've got activities, and, and uh, we're pastoring the church. And, and I got to think, now, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I need to slow down and, and kind of, you know, I'm, I'm wearing myself out. So I sat down, and I thought about a three-day span and how much time I had spare in those three days. Just a normal three days of my life, and I figured out how much time I actually had, how much time I wasted looking at Facebook and, and watching TV, and, and once I made it to that old dreadful couch that held me to the floor. And when I got done looking at the time I had and the time I wasted, I prayed, God, forgive me for not using more time for you. We're afraid what other people might think. What is the first thing? Some, you ever see somebody trip? Or have you tripped yourself? What is the first thing they do? Look around. Not, did anybody? I've, I've tripped before, and I mean hurt myself. Just I'll be bleeding and bloody, and, and it hurts. And, but the first thing I do is... I'm not saying don't care what people think, because we do. It's human nature to care what other people think. I'm not saying don't care what other people think. I'm saying do it anyway. Do it anyway. doesn't matter what they think. And I think the biggest thing of why we don't do it has a lot to do with where society and where the church has brought everybody these days. We have failed to realize a lot of times that hell is still real. It is still a real place. And we've gotten to, and I've, I've, I say that all the time, don't beat people over the head, don't go out there and say, you're going to hell if you don't get saved. There's, that's, there's better bait than that. But don't fail to realize hell is still a reality. Hell is still a real place. It's as real 100 years ago as it was 2,000 years ago. And we, realize, we don't realize how horrible hell is going to be. When I was a senior in high school. We was, I was talking to somebody in the back about, I, I was uh, talking about my size in high school. I was 5'3". My senior year, I was 5'3", weighed 185 pounds. I looked like I was 12 years old. I remember passing out my, every, every youth department I've ever been a part of, one of the lessons I would do is I would take my, my junior picture in high school when I was 16, and I would pass it out. And I would tell them, I'll give you a $20 bill if you can tell me how old I am in that picture. Never had to give a $20 bill away. Because the consistent answer was, you're 12 years old, and you're in the seventh grade. I was a junior in high school, 16 years old. And I remember my senior year, a good friend of mine, he was on the national championship wrestling. In 1993, my high school won the national championship in wrestling. He was one of the wrestlers that won a national championship. And just amazing shape. Real good dude. 
just got into a lot of trouble. And I remember he was at the gym one day working out. And they said his heart just exploded. They said before he hit the ground, he was already dead. 16 years old. I remember attending his funeral. I sat on the front row as person after person after person came and talked about this young man. I don't remember any of that. Because the entire time I was sitting on that front pew, I had my head down, and I was trying to think of one time, just one time, in the five years that I'd known this boy, that I ever mentioned Jesus Christ to him. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember. I don't know what his condition was when he died. I don't know how he was between him and the Lord. I do know this, and I've thought about it every day since that day. I know I had never mentioned a Jesus to him. I believe if we get an idea, if we're truly convinced hell is a real place, that's a game changer. If we really believe that if somebody dies apart from Jesus Christ, they'll go to a literal burning hell, I believe that's a game changer. book of Jude says, and some having compassion making a difference and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire. Why do we do it? It's our job. How do we do it? Just get out there and do it. Why don't we do it? Because we let other things be more important than somebody's soul. I heard a story one time of a submarine went down out of the coast of Massachusetts and went down and they couldn't get to the submarine. The divers went down and, and, and everybody was trapped in there and there was no way of getting into the hole to save these people. And they would tap out an SOS inside. And one of the divers picked it up and wrote it down. And the last thing ever heard from that crew was this, is there any hope? Is there any hope? That's what this world is searching for. That's what everybody we come in contact with tomorrow that does not know Jesus, that's what you're going to see in their eyes. Is there any hope? And we have that hope. And we take that hope with us everywhere we go. We just need to go fishing. They're in search. I, a friend of mine, he, he sends me stories, and this was several years ago. He'd tell me how he went, he went, rode a bull. He jumped out of an airplane, and he went uh, noodling. You know what noodling is? It's you, you go across a creek bed, and you find a hole, and you stick your arm in this hole, not knowing what's in the hole, and what he's going after is a catfish. And he was telling me about noodling, and I said, you're crazy. He told me about jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. I said, you're crazy. He talked about getting on a 1,000-pound bull that did not want him on his back, and I said, you are crazy. And I realized what my friend was doing. He was searching for something. And the crazier the things that he did, the more he realized, that isn't what I'm searching for. And he finally gave his heart and his life to the Lord. So now he don't have to ride no more bulls or jump out of no more planes. Church, let's go fishing.
as God called us to do this, it was not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It is detrimental to the health of our Christian life. It is detrimental to the health of our church that we become fishers of men. We'll do things a little different tonight. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to give an altar call. But what I want you to do for just a few seconds is I want, to think of, I want you to think of somebody in your life, somebody that, that you come in contact with on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, somebody that, that you love, somebody that you may not like a whole lot, but you know they're on their way to hell. And before you have to sit at their funeral, before you have to wonder, did they get things right with God? I'm going to give you this opportunity tonight. Put their picture in your face, in your head. Now, I remember sitting on the front row of that funeral, and I could see his face just as clear as day. And I bowed my head that entire service, and I prayed for one time. Was there one time that I witnessed to him? What I ask you to do is that person you're thinking of right now, get their face in your mind. Get it locked in. Maybe multiple people. And I'm going to ask you to come pray. Keep them on your heart, on your mind, and come pray for them. God, help me to catch them. I don't want a blanket prayer tonight. I don't want to be the best soul winner ever. I want to catch that one fish. This one fish is the most important fish in my life. I want that fish. I'm going to keep fishing until I catch that fish. Burn that face in my mind. Put their name on my heart. Don't let me rest until they're called. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you can play right there where you are. You can come down to the altar and pray. But I want you to pray for that person. Whoever's on your mind, I want you to pray for that person. There's nothing magical about this altar, but there's just something about humbling yourself before the Lord and getting serious with God. God, I want to be the best soul winner I can be, and I want to catch this fish. Several have come to the altar. Some others need to. Get serious with God. Don't leave this building tonight without getting a hold of God on their behalf. God, help me to be the best I can be to get a hold of them. Lord, I want more than anything to see them saved. Imagine how many lives we could change if we were more concerned about somebody getting saved than we were about our next meal. about our next day.
I'm going to pray here in a second. You've got somebody on your heart and your mind. You can see them clear as day. And you say, Preacher, I want you to join with me and pray for them. I want you to put your hand up and leave it. Put your hand up and leave it. I got somebody on my mind. I got somebody. I can see their face. I want them saved more than anything in this world. Bind with me in prayer. Father, we come to you right now. We're giving you all the praise and all the glory for how good you've been. And Father, right now, you've called us to be fishers of men. You've called us to go out into this world and compel them to come in. And each one of us right now, myself included, have somebody on their heart and on their mind that they would love to see saved. I pray that you give us the desire to go after them, to do everything we can, to become whatever we need to become, to snatch them from the fires of hell. I pray that you give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that as we speak, the Holy Spirit gets all over them and convicts them and convinces them that they're lost, that they're in need of a Savior. I pray for all those that hands went up, the ones that didn't, Father, those that are around the altar. that you'd move in each and every life, each and every face that's on our minds, each and every name that's on our heart. This week especially, Father, you would move on them in a mighty and a powerful way. Maybe we've not seen any movement out of them before, but this week we will. Have your will and your way. Strengthen us. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us one mindset, Father, as a group of believers to see souls saved. And we all pray for not only the one that's on our hearts, but pray for everyone in here and the ones that's on their heart and on their mind. That the rejoicing in heaven is abundant from the souls that are saved. Thank you for this day, Father, to be able to come into your house. I thank you for this church, for this group of people. Bless everything I pray that transpires in Jesus' name. I'd like the ushers to come just now, take up our evening tithes and offerings.